Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Jaguar, the art of performance. To learn more about the all-new Jaguar XE, visit jaguarusa.com. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio is Andy Greenwald and the Jack Bauer of American speech writing, John Favreau! Whoa, he hey got guys. my intro. Yeah. Wow. That was pretty, yeah. I just cut it right off there. Yeah, this, I'm noticing we do a lot of semiotics talk here. <laughs> you guys do. are literally having a conversation, and I'm just sort of off just to the here. side. <laughs> I'm conversation adjacent. This is a very special episode of The Watch. It's sort of a crossover pod. Cross pod. It's uh, The Watch. That everyone's been asking for. Meets Keeping It 1600. John is nice enough to join us to talk about one of the most hotly anticipated shows that's come across our our radar in a long time at least in the second term designated yeah. survivor yeah. starring Kiefer sutherland now unfortunately dan pfeiffer could not join us today so dan is the designative podcast host that's right should survivor. something happen yeah. here to the studio dan, dan will be can host all the pods <laughs> the watch keep it 60 dan could be like sam esmail what's up um but we wanted to talk about the show designated survivor it's on abc this week i believe it's on wednesday yeah yeah okay so we're going to talk about it we've seen the episode we're going to talk about it look in the promo clips for this episode, it's very clear what happens. Kiefer Sutherland, who is uh, stars as Tom Kirkman. Kirk, is it Kirkman or Kirkland? I think it's Kirkman. Kirkman. Kirkman, Kirkman is a stronger name than Kirkland. Uh, this is why I'm on the side of the mic. Secretary <laughs> of Housing and Urban Development in the, the United States of America. Yeah. And uh, he is the designated survivor. We're going to go into who, what that is. And he is basically like the guy who's kept away from the State of the Union address so that were the catastrophe to happen, he would be next in line for the presidency. Right. Wouldn't you know it, that exact thing happens in the first 30 seconds of this episode, yeah. and it's been promoted very heavily. So we're going to have quote-unquote spoilers. Live a little. If you want, you can listen to this now. Otherwise, wait till the episode comes on, listen to it then. But we're so happy to have John here to give us a little bit of insight, because when yes. you have something as realistic yes. and, and just finely detailed as designated it, survivor, you need a it, guide. And I want to talk to you, John, about obviously crafting State of the Union speeches, about the designated survivor <laughs> protocol, yes. about just the the These accuracy that's throughout this the show. But obviously one detail, and I apologize if this is a slight spoiler, but one detail about the show really jumps out at me. I need your 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 POV mm -hmm. on your insider POV. Absolutely. How how much of a role did dubstep play <laughs> in your day-to-day -day life as a speechwriter in the Obama White House? We because why don't you tell people what, what, like, you could just give I, a I don't want to spoil too much. I just want you to know that, that dubstep <laughs> and a, 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 teen, a teen's interest in dubstep yeah. plays a vital role in this pilot. It's an entire plot line. It is. It is it as is. it has been, as it, was in my, as it was in my life in politics. That's what I'm asking, because there's the A plot, which is the Capitol building of the United States of America is destroyed, <laughs> along with all of Congress and all of the cabinet, save for um, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Jack Bauer. And then there's a B-plot where a teenager goes to a dubstep concert. Yeah. And he has to be pulled out by the Secret Service. From, who probably were just, Didn't it know, remind, it sort of reminded me of the Zoe Bartlett gets kidnapped plot line yeah. from the West Wing. Yeah. Or, I thought something like that was going to happen. Or everything that ever happened to Elisha Cuthbert on 24. <laughs> or, or one of <laughs> our true. favorite films, Chris Spartan. That's right. Where Kristen Bell, I believe, is lifted from some yeah. sort of nightclub. I bet David, Ma David Mamet should get writing credit on Designated Survivor. <laughs> uh, but, but, but I'm stepping over, John, like just dubstep. Politics, like, talk us through it. <laughs> uh, I never had any experience uh, uh, with dubstep during the speech writing were you, process. Can I, can I put it this way? Were you ever aware of the Obama kids' listening habits, like their music? <laughs> uh, I have been recently. Okay, like, yeah. I think... 
they're they're big uh, they're big Chance fans. Yeah, Malia is for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because I think she's been uh, she's been doing playlists for she's been putting together playlists for her dad. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, wow. Because he's been this. putting playlists together for we Americans. <laughs> yeah. So it's good that he has and someone. I think, uh, yeah, I think his daughter may have had something to do what, with that. What is being president but putting together a playlist for America? That's beautiful. Okay. Yeah. We, we, we will get into the minutia <laughs> of your former life and job that, uh, that we're very interested in. But we have, to talk, we have to talk Des... What are we going to call the show? Desig Sov? What's the... What's the <laughs> Des- 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 yeah. It doesn't. It's designated survivor. Um, Okay, so big picture, this is a real thing, the designated survivor yes. thing. Is it chosen with real care, or is it just sort of a thing that is... Completely random. It's completely random. Is it really? Is it like yes. a lottery? And I didn't know that, and then, you know, once I got to the White House and we started working on the State of the Union, it's sometimes, they, sometimes the designated survivor is chosen based on, like, are their programs or policies going to be a highlight of the State of oh. the Union. In which case, you get them far away so that they don't steal the spotlight. <laughs> like, if you're going to call out a certain cabinet secretary during the speech, you can't have yeah, that person. Yeah, it can't be like Maggie Smith at the Emmys. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And so there were you years where... better things to do. I remember there were years where, like, education would be a big deal in the speech. Right. And therefore... Arnie Duncan, who was the education secretary at the time, could not be the designated he survivor. He ha- I mean, it's always good to put Arnie as designated survivor because he's probably the best pickup basketball player I've ever seen in my life. Right. So, so should want- the aliens that wiped out the I Capitol want to play I think he had to stop play playing in the celebrity five. all-star game at, the, at all-star weekend because he was too good. That's definitely because probably he, why he... Because he played again the year he was out. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so the, this, if you have something that's in the speech, you got to be in attendance. Generally, with State of the Union, is it like easy to get tickets? Is it easy, or is there like a, is it is it easy to attend, or is it really difficult to get in? It's very difficult okay. to get in usually. Um, although members of Congress have a certain number of invites, okay, um, that they can give out to people. Uh, I went a couple times just because I figured it was a cool thing to do. Yeah, and that's I, bucket you know, list. And the one time, the deputy chief of staff. Uh, Alyssa Mastromonaco gave me an extra ticket, and so I brought my dad. Oh, that's cool. And it was like the highlight of his life, and he immediately uh, went to various MSNBC stars, <laughs> like Ed Schultz and others, and introduced himself as the speechwriter's father, which once the State of the Union was over, I like, was watching MSNBC, and like Chris Matthews, and they're all talking, and, they're just, and, uh, and Ed Schultz was like, I just ran into Mark Favreau, who's the father of the wow. speechwriter, and I was like, what has happened here? Everything is material. Did you? Did you stop attending the State of the Union because someone in the cabinet noticed you mouthing the words while the president was saying them? And you were just like, yes. No, like you realize I got a the... better view on television. It's hard to watch right. it from in there. Oh, yeah. Because everyone's like, standing up. It's like and almost you're like a football back. game. I yeah, it's yeah. not a good it's not a good view. Also, that something might happen like what happened on Designated Survivor. Right. Yes. Well, thank you for you are but, the well, veteran. How about po- that segue? Who's the best podcast host so here? In, <laughs> in Designated Survivor, Cal Penn plays a speechwriter. Plays yes. and he's a surviving speechwriter. Is there yeah. a designated survivor speechwriter? There so is that, not. Oh gosh. <laughs> no, they're replaceable. Well, most of the speechwriters aren't at the State of the okay. Union. Okay. So they're safe. So there's plenty <laughs> of speechwriters. There is a full stock of speechwriters. Yeah. Should something happen, was his desktop setup accurate? Because he had a very, very large screen, and then a secondary screen. Absolutely. Really? And if we're talking accurate. about accuracy in that show, yeah. Cal's computer was... So the, it seemed like he was working through like a weird interface. Did you guys type speeches into like a secure platform? No. Oh, okay. Uh, it's just if, Google Docs? If you were working with classified information, which... You know, almost by its definition, should not be in a speech. Sure, but you'd be on a separate. Should computer. be in a private email server. Should be in a <laughs> <laughs> crosspod. <laughs> Nailed. Now we're going to talk about our homebrew servers. Um, 
No, we walked into the White House in 2009, and everyone had gateway desktops. Mm. It was awful. <laughs> the, the technology did not catch up for a very long time. Wow. But they would by the end, they gave you these screens that you could tilt so they could go vertically. Nice. Which for speechwriters was actually quite helpful. Oh, okay. Because you could see a whole, yeah, you could look up, it's an up and down screen. And did his, I mean, we will focus on the speechwriting part for now. So in, in the show, obviously, there is a catastrophe, and yes. then the speechwriter... You know, the, the FBI agent starts FBI agenting, and the speechwriter starts speechwriting, yeah, yeah. who I imagine is also an accurate representation of what all FBI agents look like. Right. Um, this show is just just dead on. Um, he basically has to pick himself up off the bathroom floor because he's so shook, shaken up by this event and immediately start doing what he does. Yes. Um, obviously, you were lucky enough not, and we as a country were lucky enough not to have a <laughs> catastrophe like this happen. No. But you have to really just be able to just start writing words and speeches and pulling stuff, right? Like that aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, you would have to just start. I mean, we had, look, the tough part about speech writing when you're in an environment like that in the White House is if something happens in the world, someone dies, there's a catastrophe, the president has to go out and make a statement. And the president doesn't have a lot of time to go out and make a statement right. because if he doesn't make one within an hour, suddenly everyone's like, why isn't Obama saying anything? Yeah, right. So you really only have... That's the toughest writing assignment right there is when you have like 30 minutes to write a statement that is of significant importance. And what is the first step? Because um, the thing that I'm always curious about is that you have to contextualize it. You have to have a grasp of the issues. You have to know what he's going to say almost more than what you have in the statement. I think the right? first so step is my, probably to be like, holy fucking shit, the Capitol building. Blew. No, that's step one. Yeah, and we're going to come back to that. I know we're getting off topic here. <laughs> step two, I believe, would be www.wikipedia.com. Like, tell me about the Suez Canal. Just Googling designated survivor. But really, like, how, how much time, say you have like, you have a X amount of time to make a statement on something that happened in the world. How much of that time is spent being like, no, really, tell me what this is about. Well, so the, fa then, the fastest I ever had to write something was... Um, I remember I woke up one morning, it's like 6.30 a.m., I look at my BlackBerry, it was back when there was BlackBerry still, yeah. and um, no emails, no news, go into the shower, five minutes, come out, and in like the five minutes I was in the bathroom, there were a hundred emails on my BlackBerry, and it's because they had just announced that Barack Obama won the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh. Something that absolutely <laughs> no one was expecting, no. including Barack Obama, including everyone, yeah. and they were like, he has to speak about this did, in an hour. Did you think you were being pranked? I, I did think I thought, yeah. I thought I was being pranked. We, and we had to go into the White House, and immediately, I like drove in as fast as I could because he was going to speak at like 9 a.m. And Ben Rhodes and me and David Axrod just huddled around my computer and tried to bang out a statement. But it's like, what do you say? I mean, A, he had to be appropriately yeah. humble and say, I mm -hmm. can't believe I won this. But B, he can't say like, no, I don't want it. Yeah, but <laughs> so there also had also... to be a little bit of WTF too. Like, I know that I maybe don't deserve this yeah, yet. That was immediately on our minds. So we like, had to I, say that. Yeah. And then, you know, Axrod told us what the, uh, what Malia and Sasha's reaction were. When uh, they found out, I guess they told him one of the, I can't remember who it was, but one of the girls told him, woke him up and said like, daddy, um, it's, it's Bo's birthday and it's a three day weekend and you won the Nobel prize. And it like came out all like that. He's like Nobel prize for what? Yeah. But it's little things like that. So we heard that story. I'm like, great. That's an anecdote. Let's put that at the top. That'll take up what, some words. What did they do for Bo's birthday? <laughs> yeah. yeah that, was, that was cutting room floor stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did, was Obama ever like, I got this. 
I don't need a speech. I can just I can just riff on this. Because he's a writer too. I yeah, mean, that was yeah, writing. Yeah, yeah. Once in a while, when something came up, he'd be like, "Don't." He'd usually resist getting something. Okay. Right. Like he do He only needs something if he it was something of national security importance or I mean, like something where he has to say the words exactly right. Right. So he wants, to, and then he's usually involved in the writing of that as well. One other um, thing about the show that struck me is that we don't really spend much time with the president before he gets blowed up. But right. there is one just devastatingly handsome aide who is very close to the president who immediately becomes involved. Involved with uh, Tom Kirkman's uh, nascent presidency, right? Judging by his dashing and good looks, and on who played Sunspot in some of our X Men films, right? So judging by his, yeah. his feature film star good looks, he played a superhero. I assume he's based on Dan Pfeiffer, <laughs> which is why he couldn't couldn't join us today. That's right. That's... Is there one devastatingly handsome gatekeeper to the president? Like, is this is this guy basically a composite of like the chief of staff or the body man? Or is yeah, he I just... don't know who that was. He's supposed to be the assistant chief of staff or deputy chief of staff. You mean the one who didn't get blown up. Yeah, right. right. So I think the, the regular chief of staff is is gone till November. But... Right. Definitely a composite of multiple characters. There's like the body man. Right. That's what Reggie Love was for a long time. Yeah. Right. There's deputy chiefs of staff that aren't. Usually, like the direct gatekeeper, there's like the president's personal assistant, but there's a group. There's of not just so there's there. not just one. There's not just one devastatingly handsome. But if there there's was many someone devastatingly handsome, but if there was someone who was that handsome, maybe he would be able to like you know collect basically collect all the power and be that person. That's right. That's right. That's possible. Which is what I think we saw in Designated Survivor. There's also a moment in, in Designated Survivor where <laughs> I Tom. That we Kirk... keep saying Designated. Survivor. <laughs> it is a mouthful. The more you say it, there, there's, there's, there's an issue where the due, DOS, to, yeah. due, due to the chaos of the event, a, a young woman who works for Kiefer Sutherland character is unable to storm into the White House yeah. when it's on full They're lockdown. Like, no. <laughs> Luckily, they yada yada that part, and then she does get in. Yeah. It can't, can you be on the list? Like, can you just be like, no, no, check the guest list, you I have promise. To have a blue, so that, you have to have a blue badge. So right. if you have a blue badge, you can walk in and out of the West Wing whenever you want. If your office is in the executive office building, which is next to the West Wing, yeah. usually... Unless you're like a senior, senior staffer, then you will have a green badge, meaning that you have you can't just walk in and out of the West Wing whenever right. you want. So because she was at a cabinet agency, right? HUD, I'm just, most staffers at HUD probably couldn't walk in and out of the White House. Can we talk a little bit about about cabinet positions? Yes, yeah. yeah. This okay. is this is what our listeners and I don't want to I don't want to denigrate any of the great work that anybody in uh, housing, whoever urban the development, agriculture, <laughs> interior. Yeah. What, what, are, what are some other cabinet? I mean, there's obviously like state and treasury and all that stuff. Yeah, there's state, Chris. That's a pretty <laughs> important one. <laughs> Defense is one. Defense yeah. is one. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, what is like probably like, does it feel like almost a team where there's like a guy at the back of the bench who's like, <laughs> yeah, and, is, and what as what, politely as possible? Yeah, I was is there, say, what is there? What is a lot of friends who are at cabinet agencies? Is it clicky to the sense where like, like obviously we know from because um, when he comes in in the beginning of the episode and he's like, I have a lot of great programs I'm hoping to get in the State of the Union, and they're just like, yeah, so not only are you not. But we're going to fire you and make you go be the aviation minister to Canada. I mean, as a speechwriter, I had problems with that because, like, the State of the Union is... I used to say to people who tried to get the president to, like, mention their programs, yeah. I'd say, like, the president is not your PA system. <laughs> like, right. That's it's great. Like that's, the, the, the president's speeches are not to just, like, list off various programs. Right. So I would, no matter what your cabinet agency was or whether you were, like, a White House policy staffer, we try to really think about what policy pronouncements are in a state of the union and specific programs at a random agency right not even a random agency an important agency sometimes you're just like we'll do a whole event about that later yeah but we're right. not going to put it in the state of the union because it's going to sound like a laundry list but separate and apart from the state of the union we know from such other accurate entertainment such as like house of cards right and when there's the horse trading <laughs> when they're like i want state 
So otherwise, I'll reveal that you, you know, um, threw Kate Mara in front of a train, or like yeah. betrayed your favorite barbecue chef. But and they're like, not state. You get interior. Like fuck you. Right. Basically, like there's... you have to. Admit, can we just pull a curtain yeah. back? And last day when we were watching the Emmys, <laughs> yeah. Greenwald saw Reggie Kathy walk in, and then those two guys have like their argument. And he was the like, Emmy clip is the face. Like, is the barbecue guy still on House of Cards? If House of Cards <laughs> just pivoted late in the game to be about Kevin Spacey just bankrolling Freddie's barbecue shack. Again, Again, I would watch it. That is more interesting to me. Freddy's Barbecue. Freddy's Barbecue. Yeah. That's a whole show. It's like, it's like the bar. It's like Phil's Place in Murphy Brown, right? It's like the place where the powerful I would love if they meet. did that, but with like a Marco Polo budget. Yes. Like- with a bloodline budget. A quarter of a billion dollars to blow the lid off the political influence in the barbecue industry. But my very serious question. We know about the horse trading where people are like, I want in the cabinet. I want this position, this position. Right. Once the administration is up and running, like you are, you are, you are happening. You are the government. Is it still kind of clicky? Are people like, you know, you get to see the table today, but... There's always tension between the cabinet agencies and the White House um, because, you know, they just think that they're like... They feel like they're separate, right? Right. Because it's like a physical thing, right? They're not in the White House all the time. And so sometimes you feel like, oh, the administration's not listening to us. But I don't know. I think at least when I was there, the first round of cabinet secretaries... um, just about all of them were like very important advisors to the president also. Right. You know, and so he had a cabinet where there was a lot of people. I mean, he had a quite an all-star cabinet in those first couple of years um, of people who had been like governors in their own right and, you know, big deals. But but also it depends on the administration because, you know, one of the things that you guys did so well on Keeping 1600 was push Tom Perez that's right. Kicking and screaming <laughs> in the limelight. Uh, an incredible surrogate um, for the president and for, for Hillary Clinton and a worthwhile, you know, he was on the short list for Veep, thanks to you guys. I That's feel right. Like. We did that. But the, the Tom Perez boom. <laughs> but the bigger point to me is that in a different administration, the labor secretary might not be a, an important figure, but Correct. in a labor friendly administration, he is. So That's right. one could assume, I, I don't want to read too much into this. Maybe we're going to get some backstory in terms of I before the Capitol sure. went home. I'm there. sure, man. But, but the president, you know, who was with us for fours of seconds on screen, doesn't seem to be a real housing advocate. You know I, what I mean, we could. <laughs> I want to ask you this. Or urban development, anti-urban Cause development. Because here's here's what my move would be. Let's say I'm let's say I'm Secretary of the Interior. Interior. That's my move, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going full team of rivals. I'm going yeah. aloof. And yeah. if I am talking, I'm a dick. I'm just like, nope, team of rivals. I disagree. <laughs> you just keep saying that? Yeah, exactly. No matter what. Shout out Doris. Just yeah. wait for them to fire you. Yeah, right. No, no but then I'll no, be, you I go like, straight up. I'm secretary of the interior. I speak for the trees. Exactly. Yeah. Just be like, <laughs> is that what the interior guys do? The interior people, I know this because one of my very, very good friends is deputy chief of staff at interior. Okay. And they basically go around and make things national parks. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's what great. they've done. I'm, so I'm they, like, they go to a yeah. piece of land and it's beautiful and they say, this is now But that would be tough if the president was like, I want to make more parks and you're like no we got too many parks right yeah that <laughs> guess, would be, guess yeah. what let me, let me throw something right back at you <laughs> team, i'm team of rivals in this <laughs> too many parks <laughs> what if we had less parks run on that um let's talk a little bit about the show can you <laughs> at, at minute 27 <laughs> no, i want to hear from john what's where does keith or sutherland sit in your constellation of, of favorite stars like <laughs> um, is he a bright one is dimmer <laughs> i was a fan of 24 okay I watched, I don't think, I think I missed, like, didn't they come back with, like, an extra last year? Yeah. And missed, now they're I coming not, back with not, a reboot of I it. I didn't see yeah. those. Okay. Um, You're but a purist. I, back in the day, yeah. I watched all the 24s. Did you watch 24? The first few seasons? I mean, it was incredible the first couple yeah. of seasons. And incredible. I, I sort of lost. Yeah. I will say it's, it's, since that's my main 
that's my main reference point for this Kiefer is my Sutherland. Thing. Yeah. Right? Like I'm not some like 35 and I don't like I didn't watch all of Kiefer Sutherland's movies way back in the yeah. day. But I watched him on 24. He's like so it's it was a little jarring in Designated Survivor to see like a super toned down yes. Jack yeah, Bauer who's like a nerdy HUD secretary. The, now maybe that's part of his character. Maybe he's going to become this Jack is the, Bauer. This is the question I have. Was this just typical network TV like overshowing, um, you know, over explaining everything to have him in an Ivy League sweatshirt every second he's on screen? <laughs> yes. To be like, he's smart. He's smart. In the or the was glasses. it just like. I, you know, I'm just, or was it the first note from the dailies? Like, I don't buy it. Why isn't he shooting the rude speechwriter in the kneecap? This is the thing. We need to put him in a doughy sweatshirt from an Ivy League college and not even one of the tough ones. I think it's like Cornell. Every time somebody said anything bad to Kiefer Sutherland, whether it was the general or Cal Penn, I was just like, he's going to make this guy eat a light bulb. He's going to, but that's what's so doing. It's like, when you see Kiefer Sutherland on this guy's nipples, this is going to be amazing. (laughs) When you see Kiefer Sutherland in a situation room type environment, yeah, and Cal sitting there just destroying him, yeah. and he just kind of takes it. You're like, "Come on, man, <laughs> keep for Sutherland. You are keep act like it. Hang him out a window. It's fucking like, Get your way." Here's here's my big. I'm gonna I'm gonna put on a little TV critic hat. Okay. Um, the thing about when I was watching this show is that every year, you know, these networks try to come up with bigger and bigger concepts. They try to come up with the idea that's going to be killer. It's going to get people to watch. It's going to you're going to sell it on the poster. This is a good idea. This is a very good idea that people get almost right away. And obviously, it has a lot of marketing muscle behind it. They got Kiefer Sutherland. They got him to wear a sweatshirt. It's go, go, go. Like, this is a good one. But it bummed me out watching it because it was a network right. TV show. Because all of the things about this idea that really could have been fodder for a more interesting cable show or a show that just wasn't as, just didn't have to hit the notes, where, you know, Chris, you said that correctly, that the capital gets blowed up in 30 <laughs> seconds. But the previous 30 seconds are just noted-to-death dialogue between Kiefer Sutherland and his wife, uh, Natasha McElone, where they're just like, how is our daughter? I love our daughter. Yeah. I love our family. You can't I let her get too. away with everything, but well, I'm her father. I'm yeah. a good father. Yeah. Like, it was all of this just obvious on the nose. And also, within the show's 48-minute without commercial runtime, like, this, there's a line where a newscaster is like, the worst tragedy since 9-11. I'm like, quick edit. This is, no offense, like, this is maybe worse. Like, this is yeah, a really, yeah. really, really intense, crazy terrorist act. And yet there's still time for meet cutes and still time for, like, lovey-dovey moments and smiles. Okay, so I, I, have, have, I, have, I have a counterpoint. Yeah. This show is incredibly stupid and a bad idea, yeah. oh. and is actually executed quite well. Wow, this oh, is, is that <laughs> this is the crossfire podcast. <laughs> yeah. Wow, this really no. is a crossover. Okay, so there's no way there can be a third episode of this show. And we were just talking to John Lovett on the way into here, and so he was funny. like, "What's the deal?" So now that he's not, he's no longer the designated survivor. He's just the president. They changed the title next week. Yeah, it's, it's just, just called, called the president. Jack Bauer, president. Well, so Lovett's analogy was, he's like, "What if they called friends runaway bride?" <laughs> But my point he's is gonna fix Hollywood. This is such a you stupid would, idea. You would love it to do the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you guys can have this town figured out in forty-five minutes. So it's a really dumb idea. But what I really responded to, because yesterday I was kind of dragging my feet. I'm like, oh, I gotta watch this. I gotta watch this. And I was like, I, you know, I've been watching all these like prestige dramas, and they're so good, and they're just like so <laughs> measured. And it's like this person scratching their beard and looking at the <laughs> Mississippi River and being sad. 
this is so breakneck. I don't yeah. even have time to be like, That's true. why is Maggie Q watching the Capitol burn on a television in a Georgetown bar and grill when she's in the fucking FBI? <laughs> and she's like, oh, do you need me? Do no, I need to get, she, get to work? FBI agents can get a night off, Chris. They can unwind. No, I'm not it's saying that, but it's job. like the whole reality of this show is so stupid. It's reality. lifespan. Kiefer Sutherland, when he saw the pilot script for this, apparently said, I could see the next 10 years of my life. Now, whether or not term limits actually are coming into play here in Designated Survivor, I'm not sure. But I can't see this being a 10-year show. But that's why why I... A couple things I'll say about the show. One, I'm, like, very excited to see the second episode. So it's got me hooked. Okay. Um, But that's partly why. Because I'm like, where's this going to go? Yeah. What happened? Why did the explosion happen? What kind of president is he? Obviously, it seems like he stays on and doesn't quit. But, like... Is the whole show about people like trying to stage a coup and get him out? Like, what is his day to day existence? Does yeah. it become like twenty four? Yeah, is it just him fighting bad guys? That would be awesome. my feeling. <laughs> is that it might be like that for a while, and then like next year when site season two, when President Kirkman has to deliver a State of the Union speech. <laughs> And then he blows up. He blows up. And, and then the, dumpstep kid becomes the, whole, the designated survivor. The whole episode is just like, agriculture like, secretary who should be the, just who should be the, the designated wings. survivor? And it's just like, you know, day player, day player, day player. Leah fucking Schreiber <laughs> as the secretary of the interior. He's like, I who love is, trees. Who is the who is the next, like, male actor who needs to be the designated survivor? This is a really good question that I wish we had prepared for. Yeah. yeah. We weren't live in front of microphones. Is there anybody from Young, the cast of Young Guns? Is Lou Diamond next? Is Emilio oh. next? LDP could do it. Yeah. I feel like after last night's Emmys, I want Courtney B. Vance as the designated That's survivor. Good. Obama! That's good. I want Courtney B. Vance at the Emmys yeah. as the designated survivor. Oh, He's just lit. He's just like, I'm done saying what's a national park. Oh, no, now I have to be the president again. Um, we can we can sort of wind down our designated survivor. So you're, you're out. You're not going to keep watching. Well, no. I mean, I think that this is it's one of those best case scenario network pilots. And it is, it is absolutely emblematic of what networks want. A pilot to be and in that and that you know that it's it's great it grabs you it's exciting it's it's noisy which is a real word yeah. they use in development meetings and it is because it is but it's also emblematic of it because it doesn't seem to have much concern as to what they're going to do next week or next year or in the next 10 years i remember i was going to ask you why is it that the the joint chiefs of staff guy is always the villain yeah, like why is that guy did you guys it's like did, laziness and writing did you I know think. any of those guys from like just around where they always just like hey man my fantasy football team's dying out here like how you they doing? all seem like super serious guys. yeah they did they're not, they're, <laughs> they're, they yeah, they're, probably they're, know things that we can't comprehend they're not they're not laugh riots they're not laugh riots no they're very serious people um but yeah no i don't know why that that guy's just a villain yeah We're going to talk about a bunch of other stuff, including the election and Donald Trump's appearance on tonight's show. But let's take a quick break before we do that. We know it's a little rude to interrupt, but while we have your ear, let's have a brief conversation about manners. As the British like to say, manners make it the man. So it's no wonder that Jaguar's first ever compact sports sedan, the Jaguar XE, and their first ever performance SUV, the Jaguar F-Pace, are well-mannered. They both put you at ease the moment you enter, remain composed in almost any situation, and know when to make themselves heard. For the full Jaguar guide to manners, please visit JaguarUSA.com. Thank you. Jaguar, the art of performance. 
Do you have a wedding or a special event coming up and need a tux now? Don't panic. The Black Tux designs modern fit suit and tuxedo rentals that deliver straight to your door. And now, the Black Tux will give you free home try-on so you can see the fit and the feel and the quality of their suits before your event. The best part? You can do it all online. Head to theblacktux.com to create your look or choose a complete outfit package. Prices start at just $95. Their suits are designed with fine Italian wool, the highest quality on the rental market. And their expert customer care team is always available to answer your questions. Your outfit will arrive a full week before your event. That leaves plenty of time to try it on, and if the fit needs to be dialed in, the Black Tux will fix any problems before your event. When your event's over, just drop your rental back in the mail. Shipping is always free both ways from delivery to return. Visit theblacktux.com slash BSPN and experience a new way to rent the Black Tux. Okay, so here's a, let's, let's, here, let's do a pivot. Here's okay. a question I have. So I remember, and I don't know if Chris, you back me up on this, but like in the 90s during the Bill Clinton presidency, mm-hmm. there was a sea change in the way the presidents were portrayed in movies and in media. And there were like a couple mm-hmm. think pieces before we called them think pieces, before we called them hot takes, yeah. because they were published in Newsweek once a month or whatever. <laughs> but it was just like, oh, well, the president is now more virile, like like Independence Day or Air Force One. Like, yeah. like the president isn't the older figure that he was during the 80s in a lot of these movies. Michael Douglas, an American president. Yeah. Probably right. like the manifestation of that, too. And, and so that was, for whatever reason, tied to Bill Clinton's presence in the White House, even though I don't believe it's fuzzy. It was the 90s. I don't believe he ever punched a terrorist on Air Force One. <laughs> no, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. He may, have done, he may have punched Gary Oldman. I think he but, punched yeah. Ron Burkle. I don't know. I don't know. But it was a really good argument they were having. Um, from the inside, what is your take on how the, the depiction of the presidency has evolved during the Obama presidency? How it like oh, in, in movies and in TV, was there anything when you guys were watching culture happen, As you, if you had a spare moment, right. when you weren't yucking it up with the Joint Chiefs, <laughs> where you were like, oh, I see what they're trying to do there. This is a comment on what we're doing. Or, or, or even just like, is this how they see what we're doing? Well, there's a lot more of that, the latter. Because I, don't, I, haven't, I can't think of any presidents in culture that reflect Obama that much. It's but true. But when I talk to people about, you know, people ask me like cultural te- television related questions about the White House, right. they're always like, is it like House of Cards? Yes. That's usually the first right. question. And then I always say it's more like Veep. Yes. Because it is. I actually think it's a combination of Veep and West Wing. Okay. West Wing would make just about everyone roll their eyes because people are cynical and yeah. no one likes to think it's idealistic. But there are moments in the White House that do feel a little West Wing. Yeah. Most of the time it's like Veep. I mean, I always tell people... We are conspiracy-driven culture now. Everything's a conspiracy. Everything's rigged. And so that's very House of Cards. But Veep has it better because like, usually when someone screws something up, it's because they were acted like idiots. Yeah. What if, <laughs> and they made a mistake. And they were just, you know. What about the time you invited Vladimir Putin over? He got wasted on vodka and made out with Michelle Obama. <laughs> Which yes, show is that? that was, like? right, that's a, Obama's been but, actually in... Like, I, I don't know what the laws are or if they've changed or anything, but people basically, like, in the last five or six years, I feel like, just use Obama as the president. Like, they'll just cut away. That's like, true. Like, World like War in, Z. Like Mr. Robot. I think he's president in World War Z, which is a really, like, an L to take. Why you gotta put that on your resume? Yeah, I know. Like, he he's just like, out. oh, we're really dealing with a lot here. Similarly, and, Mr. Yeah. Robot, he's like, well, that was the worst hack ever. <laughs> but thanks, Obama. Like... We should do a summary of like all the fictional disasters Obama has overseen in the last few years of of movies and television. That's that's not fair. But no one, I don't think anyone's captured politics very accurately in recent times. Well, is it because, you know, one of the things Chris and I talked about uh, in the Emmy, build up the Emmys and during the Emmys is that there's still... We're, we, they, Emmys tried really hard to figure out what's a comedy and what's a drama and make rules, but obviously you, you, you kind of can't stop them from mixing these days. The best right. shows are both. Is it because, as you said, 
day-to-day life in the actual real White House is constantly a, a shifting mix of Veep, House of Cards, West Wing, Alf, I imagine, when you talk about <laughs> Roswell. But it's yeah. not an easily classifiable experience because it every day or minute to minute when you get out of the shower is different. It is quite a mix of drama and comedy. <laughs> and so there are many moments that are almost exactly like something that happened in Veep. Uh, there are there are fewest moments of things that seem like they're House of Cards. Yeah. Like you just you just never see anything like that. Maybe that's ha- maybe that goes on behind our backs, but I, like, I don't know. When we when we talked to 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 Dan on our show uh, like a year and a half ago, I think he said that there were a couple moments when he became self aware that he was walking and talking, and he was like trying. He was yeah. very sorkiny. Yeah. Did the you... hallways aren't long enough. That's the problem with my the walk and talk thing. Like I I thought about that a lot when I was in there, but the West Wing is very old and cramped. Yeah, and so you're not doing a lot of walking. And was talking. it was the profanity as like athletic yes. as it is in V? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Like what? Like someday, years from now, when all the White House emails come out, there will be lots of profanity. <laughs> is it years from now? Yeah. Yeah. Knocking on the wood yeah. here. Dude, we don't have our phones on us now. It's very Putin's possible. Like, they got gateway computers. I'm all in here. <laughs> <laughs> we have a big listenership in. Yeah. Siberia. Um, well, should we should we pivot away from? Oh, actually, no. I have one other question yeah. for 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 our guest today. Do you like? We asked you to watch Designated Survivor, and that was very kind of you to do that. Yes, um, although I mean, I guess it was only forty eight minutes. No, when, I, when I, Pfeiffer I, came on, he was like, "Did you guys finish House of Cards this weekend?" Like I did, and I was like, "Honestly, no. You did that. You're crazy. <laughs> that's, a very, that's a Dan thing. He is very prepared. <laughs> but that's why he was Dan's senior, the most prepared. That's why he was senior <laughs> advisor to Dan, a president. That's why Dan's not here today. Is he's just watching House he's of doing Cards. Still. <laughs> and I'm just here. I just podcast for a living yeah. now. Do you have? And you've been. You're obviously not fully. You're not out of the game. Out of the game. But you're yeah. not in the White House day to day. Do you? Th- have a thirst or appetite for political entertainment or is it like yeah that's a good question because you know one thing that chris and i found and i think a lot of other people who are journalism adjacent yeah like we were like oh the wire is the best show ever we love everything about it oh the the verisimilitude of the show is staggering in terms of the drug game and then there was the 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 season of the newspaper and we were like that's a bit on the nose yeah i think that was actually the i mean i know you loathed the newsroom but i actually found it to be quite entertaining except for the part about the internet and, and just its and relationship it to working it on so, it. So do you, does that come into play for you no matter what you're watching if it's political because you just are like, I know, I know too much, I know. Well, what's I interesting is I think the best, like the, the best political show out there to me is Game of Thrones. Interesting. Interesting. You know, because yeah. that, the theme. We should check that show out. The, <laughs> I don't know if you, that was the right podcast to say that, right? <laughs> Definitely um, not. No, but the, the themes that it wrestles with are really honest political themes that you see occurring over and over again um maybe not in no all the well, details, to, but. to be fair cersei looking out the window at a flaming wreckage of an important gathering place politically she's, is she's, she's death, like the, the original she's the survivor. Survivor. No, but there's yeah. that, that conversation that daenerys has with um uh uh Dinklage. Tyrion. 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 <laughs> you're, you're in the right room for this <laughs> exactly. we got you um at the end of last season uh about power yeah and, and i'm like that is they got to the crux of a lot of political arguments that people really have. Yeah. But anyway, I am dying for the show that comes out that someone creates that actually depicts politics quite accurately. I think there's, I mean, I'm not, so I'm always interested in like interesting political shows. So speaking of interesting political shows, we wanted to talk to you about some of the ways that, uh, obviously this is the most, in many ways, mo- in mostly bad ways, the most made for TV election. Yeah. Um, or at least inspired by reality TV election. Um, but we want to talk to you about the ways those have intersected of late. Yeah. Specifically, um, 
was it Friday or was it Thursday? Thursday or Friday? I think it was last Thursday. When because um, we wrote about it on Friday, the Republican yeah. nominee f- for president. I blanking Mr. on his name right Mr. now. Mr. Uh, yeah. Tyrion. Uh, <laughs> the, small hands. Small hands. Um, appeared on the Tonight Show. Oh yes. Uh, with Jimmy Fallon and was greeted um, basically with the with the warmth and ardor of anyone who shows up to play inflatable flip cup. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know whether this was in. Sent out as a promotional image, or it was just screen. It was grab. just instantly memed. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, the Jimmy Fallon um, hair tussle tussled Donald Trump's hair like he was some sort of uh, amusing carny. I don't know. Well, I guess he is an amusing carny. But anyway, it was feel. It appeared very subservient. It appeared very soft. The counter argument, of course, that Jimmy Fallon is not known for his hard hitting uh, right. interviews. Um, but to that many, Jimmy, and that was apparently Jimmy Fallon's argument. But as to well. many people, this seemed really really appalling and i was yeah. curious your take on it both as a you know consumer of news yeah. but also as someone who has not directly but been a part of the the game of who gets what access who gets what platform for your I, candidate i felt very conflicted because i've always liked jimmy fallon a lot mm-hmm. and i think he's hilarious and then i was one of the people who was outraged when i saw it. i'm like what is he doing yeah and i try to put myself in his shoes you know and i'm like okay well if his thing is I'm not going to be tough on anyone, I guess that's one thing. I guess it's a it's it's also a comment on how scary Donald Trump has become. Like yeah. right. if if Jimmy Fallon does does that interview even during the Republican nomination, the Republican primary, when Donald Trump still has said the wall and the ban and all that kind of stuff, I don't think it would have gotten the reaction that it did. Right. Still, because people don't people did not view him then as a real threat, yeah. as a serious threat that he could win. Um, I think having that interview happen right after. The birtherism and all the stuff over the last couple of weeks, it sort of sparked something in people. And th- there's also been a whole conversation, you know, about the media coverage and has the media gone too soft on Donald Trump. So come at that moment, I think yeah, that sort well, of set everyone off. I think particularly on the day that it happened, this was basically at the end of a two or three day period where Trump had crowed about how he had just played the media, completely yeah. played them like it a was, fiddle. It was the night... It, it took place the night, or no? It was the, on Friday day. Was the day he did the, 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 the tour? I'm pretty of the sure that the Tonight Show episode aired at the end of the day, the, of the end of a day that began. Right. And maybe they taped it on Thursday because often these talk shows, you know, they they double tape Thursdays, so maybe that's how it worked out. But sure. but that he had basically told everyone he was going to make a statement, um, and so he got the whole press to come to an infomercial yes. for his tacky hotel. Oh, and then should, yeah. and then and then doubled down, you know, on an even worse, almost worse. Replace one conspiracy with the other. Yeah. And then got his hair muscled for it as a reward because without taking any questions the first time. Well, here's the other thing, too. We we used to get a lot of shit in the Obama administration for um, having the president go on what was considered like light television shows, right, easy right. television shows. So he would do interviews on The Tonight Show and Letterman and Jon Stewart and all that kind of stuff. And my take on that was always those guys maybe they didn't and, and and women maybe they didn't ask him like gotcha political questions but they asked him substantive questions mm-hmm. about issues yeah Barack Obama would go on Jay Leno and Jay Leno would talk about the Iraq war Afghanistan climate change like he might have not pressed him yeah. like a political journalist would have so maybe it's not tough in that sense but he would ask substantive issues in that interview with Fallon Fallon like casually mentions Putin at one point and then nothing else yeah so there's not even there was no substance there's, in the interview whatsoever. I think whatsoever. that the thing with Fallon also is it's it, and to this extent there's a whole other question about like are we 
everybody's always like, well, it's got to be fair and balanced and it's got to have like, you got to hear both sides. And I don't think that that necessarily applies to late night hosts. You don't have to be fair and balanced. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to be fair and balanced right. if you're hosting this night show other than to uh, not alienate advertisers and viewers because you're trying to get as much money for your commercial blocks as possible and attract as many people to watch. But Jimmy has set up this world in which the people who are on his show are almost entirely divorced from what they are outside of the show. They're just characters to play That's, beer yeah, pong. Cartoon characters. To get, you know, vi- like whatever, like games they play on it and And so that's like basically an equal opportunity situation and if it's just because it's cool when channing tatum and justin timberlake do it like if you have trump do it you're gonna feel disgusting about it some people said it's not jimmy fallon's job to take down donald trump no i agree with that and also and fallon said oh i'm i'm nice to all my guests i'm not mean to any of my guests you don't have to he doesn't you don't have to have donald trump on and be a complete dick to him yeah (laughs) but that doesn't mean you can't you don't have a responsibility when you have a presidential candidate on your show to and there's millions of people watching yeah and there's an election coming up to at least ask about one or two substantive questions this is what everybody's freaking out about this summer is the rationalization of the irrational it's like the it's normal the the normalizing yeah it's normalizing you you called this in a piece you wrote you know in every piece that you've written for the ringer i mean you you saw this coming because the system is built to only pass certain things through certain tubes and everything comes out looking the same there's one candidate who says one and the other candidate says the other and let's consider these two things as equal things right and there's uh there's no ability for proportionality anymore in how we cover these things. It was right. strange last night, you know, when Julia Louis-Dreyfus was accepting her Best Actress com- for comedy, and she said, I, she was joking, but she was like, I want to apologize for ruining... For normalizing. Like, politics, because what was supposed to be a satire is now a docudrama. And, yeah. and it's, I, it's interesting that, that was co- what happened at the Emmys last night was covered as, like, something jarring and different, right. you know, when... When I heard her say that, I was like, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I think I was <laughs> right. watching Veep this year thinking it's almost it, it has a little bit less edge because it's not as absurd as it used to be. Because we are now much more absurd. Yeah. I, I, I'm curious about your thoughts on, on this idea because I maybe I am too much of a sap or, or believed in the West Wing because I generally like moments that, that make me feel like, well... They're all they're all good men and women. Like they're all good Americans, and they yeah. come together. I like those photo ops. Like I like when presidents become ex presidents and they all stand together, or they like raise money for things together, or the fact that like that that your former boss seems to have a perfectly warm enough relationship with his predecessor. Um, even though I had very negative feelings about that man, right. when he was in you office. Did you not have a warm relationship to his? I predecessor. don't have a warm <laughs> relationship personally. No, but. I, I maybe I'm a sucker for that, and maybe I am normalizing extreme behavior, extreme points of view. But I am a sucker for that. I don't mind it when people like Jeb Bush shows up in the Jimmy Kimmel thing. I don't mind that. I don't mind Boehner showing up. At no, the, I think that's great. We wanted Boehner I, to show up in that video with right, Obama at the correspondence dinner. We I, thought that was great. I like that because yeah. it makes me feel like maybe we are somehow. This is a, maybe I'm a sap, but it makes me feel like on some level we are all in the same country. Or that there's all still doing like the a thing. semblance of civility. There's too. some level of civility. Yeah. Is it because Trump is so extreme that I am now? Is that a privilege that I've had, basically, where yeah. where now all of a sudden, no, I'm offended. Now I'm starting to pull up the, the the ladder and be like, well, no, he can't joke around with Jimmy Fallon because I'm offended. Or is or is the balance really threatened in a in a larger way? It is here? threatened. And he it, one of the hardest parts about running against Donald Trump is is screaming about how different he is yeah. and how out of the mainstream yeah. he is. And what's ironic about all the coverage is for years during the Obama administration and before. The press was all like, bipartisanship is the most important thing ever. we got to have bipartisanship. Well, right now, we have an election that is unprecedented in that leaders of the Republican Party, candidates 
Republican candidates, Republican governors have lined up against Donald Trump. Right. At least enough of them have. And so the only agreement you have, or like the most agreement that you have in the country between yeah. Democrats and Republicans, is that Donald Trump is a bad idea for yeah. President of the United States. And it's very scary. And you have like national security officials saying it. You have various Republicans saying it. And the Bush family hasn't lined up. And Mitt Romney and all this kind of stuff. And you'd think that would be enough to signal to everyone else, like, yeah. hey, this might be a problem. If these people who can't agree on anything right. are saying this is a bad idea, this is a problem, but yet it hasn't. There's a there's a recurring thing that people say have said on Twitter with increasing frequency over the last year, which is nothing matters, yeah. hashtag nothing matters, because right. clearly nothing matters anymore. And I, I kind of think some things do matter. And I and I've, one thing I, I have enjoyed seeing is this surprising comedy, let's call it, between um, Democratic operatives and Republican operatives yeah. who are united in horror over this. And, you know, so I've started reading like like Stuart Stevens, who right. who is was a key Romney advisor and is a key never Trump person. And now that I'm reading him without my partisan filters on or maybe now because he agrees with me, I'm like, oh, what it seems like a pretty smart, accomplished guy. And I wondered about that relationship, like, not just with him. There's the guy, Tim, it, who, Tim Miller, Tim Miller, people who are now friends of your. I'll pie. tell you, it's a silver lining of the whole thing. If we can get past this and not elect Trump. Yeah. Is, and, and survive. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't expect to continue agreeing with Stuart Stevens or Mike Murphy or Tim right. Miller. I don't expect to continue agreeing with them. But from now on, when I hear these guys say something, you're not going to dismiss it. I'm not going to dismiss it. And I'm going to think like, I know those guys. Yeah. And those gals, like I know these people and I've talked to them and I can at the end of the day disagree with them, but at least I know where they're coming from. And I know that they stood up and and took a courageous stance at a very important time. Is this a moment like that, like those stories of like World War Two trench warfare during Christmas when like the German soldiers and the French soldiers like came out of their foxholes and sang Christmas carols and then yeah. went back to shooting each other? Let's just hope other? it's not World War One and World War Two is still coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's actually what I mean. But. Can you describe, like, you, you could talk specifically about those people or just that role in general, like your equivalent on the other side of the aisle in the heat of a campaign. And you've said this about your relationship with people who worked for Hillary Clinton in 08 and how that's clearly mellowed and changed. Right. In the heat of a campaign, things are said and opinions are running hot. But is there a magical place like uh, Freddy's Barbecue where you guys at the end of the day can toss a couple back and realize that you have some things in common? Or is this really a moment for, where you've realized that and gotten to know them? The time it happened before was after the 2008 campaign. Mm -hmm. We ended up, become, some of us on the press communication side, ended up becoming friendly with the McCain staff. Oh, okay. Huh. Um, just because some, sometimes we took similar jobs. A lot of them ended up in Silicon Valley, so did the Obama people. Right. Um, but even before that, in Washington, we started hanging out. And I just think because McCain, minus the pick of Palin, which is a very big minus, um, <laughs> you know, was, a, was like the last sort of standard Republican mm -hmm. to, to run and was also like, Sort of have an independent streak. He's, he's so he, yeah, he att he attracted people who were not the most right wing people in that party. Right? Yeah, and so a lot of those operatives, um, I'm still friends with, even though you know I don't agree with them on a lot. So there is a place like that. I mean, I think, and I don't. Th I think it's important to, for people to know it's not some game where we all just put on a show to yell at each other, and, and then when the cameras are off, you eat we're bananas like, and drink Gatorade. But, but and, yeah, <laughs> I think that goes on in Washington green rooms all the time. Yeah, especially with some of the older generations of consultants. But I think, like at least for me. Like, I'll be friendly with Tim Miller and Stewart, but I'll also be very open when I disagree with them. I think that, <laughs> and it's all real. In, right? in some ways, the, the thing that, that bothers me, and this actually goes back to Fallon, but the thing that kind of makes me the most sick to my stomach is the fact that in a lot of ways, and I, I don't mean this about anybody in particular who works there as much as NBC's where Trump got his start as a media figure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so to see him on the NBC flagship show, 
promoting himself and that person being like, yeah, man, go ahead and promote well, yourself. You're the best. Also coming right after Matt Lauer, who yeah. just really acquitted himself. Yeah, I felt the same way when Kimmel said to Burnett last the night. The Burnett joke was great. Yeah, but it was just like, he was just <laughs> but like... But it was serious. It was like almost say, not a joke. He didn't say like, yeah, I'm really sorry. You know what I mean? He was just like, it's all in the game. And I think that the all in the game part of it is what I think people are reacting to, where you're That's just right. like, you couldn't even have a fucking network moment of like, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore as like a as as a right thinking person in this world because people would be like, what's next? What's the next like freak out? What's the next meltdown? What's the next like moment that we're going to move on to? It, there's there never it never stops, you know. But speaking of moments that were pivotal in awakening this this ego beast that threatens to devour our entire republic. Um, and you've mentioned you talked about this a little bit on the pod, but there's obviously the the state of the the, the, uh, correspondence, the, the correspondence dinner, dinner. Yeah. and and you know your own this is our fault your own your own role <laughs> in this. How does the president has the president actually joked about that and being like I guess I shouldn't have done that or does he still feel we haven't talked about it? It's, it's, too, it's too tender to bring up. No, because I think we still. I mean, it was such an obvious target at the time. Yeah, that we would do that and. We, we wrote the jokes before the birth certificate came in. The birth certificate, the long-form birth certificate that he presented the day before yeah. the Correspondence Center was sort of a surprise yeah. that someone found it, you know, we, you know and, uh, and, it, and it was flown in for the occasion. Um, but he just thought Trump was a buffoon. Yeah. <laughs> and? Yes, and, and you go on. Yeah. That part was right, you know? And, um, yeah, so the, it was obvious that we'd write those jokes. I just the and this that we can we can pivot away from this because this 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 will be more for your pod I think but the the fact that this the, the the double standard here in the coverage where where Trump is now has gotten it but not much because the press did sort of you know you, if you poke the press the press will actually react in an angry way yeah but so they do feel gamed so the coverage is actually a little bit more appropriate in this in this recent one but the idea that he well he 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 changed his mind on the birther thing so it's all done. And meanwhile, the president of the United States, who has been attacked and you know attempt and it is this unprecedented attempt to delegitimize him, and has never said anything really other than a couple of jokes at a correspondence dinner, has to just sort of take this. He doesn't have to, but he does. He has the the dignity to do well, that. Well, he's also very good at. He, look, the guy follows the news and he consumes the news, but he does keep it at arm's length. Right. He lets people uh, beat themselves. Yeah, he lets people beat themselves, but he also has a, he has a great sense. Reminds of Reminds me of another guy, like. President Tom Kirkman. Nice. <laughs> he let other people be themselves, meaning he let them incinerate themselves in a terrorist fireball. Like, very cool. Very cool. Lord out on Tom Kirkman. Um, no, he's got. He does have a great sense of perspective and proportion and context and all the things you would hope a leader would have. Um, and that that's one thing I actually learned about him over the years through the job. I always knew that I was. I, I liked him, and he believed what I believed, and he yeah. was on. You know, in favor of all my positions and everything, but. There is a personality that you need if you're going to have that job. Yeah, and it, and it's a person, yes. and it it, it, you, it requires a certain steadiness and calmness and coolness. And you realize up close, like if you don't have that, really bad things could happen. Super we, bad like, things. Super we bad don't things. want a president who's good at Twitter or bad mm -hmm. at. We don't want a president who can no. go viral or do memes. We don't. We re, we may think we want it during a campaign because yeah. we're bored. But we don't want no, like, that. It's, it's <laughs> nice that Barack Obama was a cool president and was a culturally significant president. That's that was great. And that he was funny and he would go on. All, you I know, hope in his last six friends, like that was good and it helped us and it helped him. But that's you're right. That's not important in the job. That is just and we have convinced ourselves that those are the important thing, that performance is the most important thing of the job. And I think performance public is performance, part of it. It's not public like performance. How you perform, but, no, yeah. public performance is absolutely part of the job, but it is a small part of the job. 
but it is it is like you know like like Cheetos. It is satisfying. So like when when Hillary tweets, delete your account. Like right. It, yeah. it touches some. And maybe in his last six weeks, Obama like, can great. start doing like TFW. The Bulls beat the Pistons, <laughs> yeah. and it's like Jimmy Butler hanging on a rim or something. Yeah, but, me just tweeting me RN. You know, I mean, I wonder like, whether or not like this will be, we'll look back when we're in our sixties or something. Are we like, remember, when guy, remember when presidents didn't tweet that much? You know, <laughs> president president tweet too much. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the Chappelle update. Um, we should wrap it up here, John. Thank you so much for joining us. This Thanks was uh, very 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 Everyone, fun. Everyone, please, if you aren't already, listen to Keeping It Sixteen Hundred. It's my favorite podcast. Thank I'm not you. just saying that because the co-host is within arm's length. Um, you guys to have to come on sometime. Oh, we'd love sometime. to. We'd love to. It, it, if only the news cycle would pause <laughs> yeah, so you could seriously. have a luxury of having like, <laughs> like nincompoop guests as opposed to accomplished guests. Um, me and Andy will be back on Thursday with a re-up. We'll be talking about the finale of Mr. Robot with a special guest. Hopefully Sam Esmail will be joining us. You may have heard him last night at our Emmys after party. Yeah, if you didn't check those things out, we did an Emmys after party live. It is still available to watch as a video. Yeah, uh, facebook.com slash ringer. You can still find it there. And then it's also available as a podcast on the watch feed. We, we had uh, Joel Fields and Joe Weisberg from the Americans and Sam Esmail from Mr. Robot called in. Only one of those creators um, took Chris to task for his really vicious criticisms of their show. Um, but it's all in good fun. All right. We'll see you guys Thursday. Great job, Redskies! Right,